Thanks for downloading Cross Defense. I'm your host, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. On this week's episode, we talk about the prodigal, oh, the prodigal son, the merciful father. What a great picture of the gospel. And then Pastor Denzer comes on to talk about the bite spiegel, the confessional mirror, how the Ten Commandments shows us our own sin but leads us to God's mercy in a deep and profound way. You're going to love it. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. Thanks for downloading. Thanks for subscribing. Here's Cross Defense. I'm your host, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. So happy to be with you today. God be praised for another day, especially as we're ramping up and and getting ready for Christmas tide, rejoicing in the Lord's birth, His incarnation. We want to do so uh, by by considering the scriptures and the life that they give. That's what we do on here on Cross Defense. We're trying to ignite the imagination with the Lord's word. Uh, I'm your host, Brian. Did I mention that already? Your host, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. And today we got two things we want to get after. Number one, I, I asked Stephanie before the show, hey, what should we talk about? And she said, stuff. So we're going to do that in the first segment. I, I got an email also from my friend Jordan, the one Lutheran family that we know of on the, on the, in the country of Greece, who said, hey, could you do a little bit more work on the prodigal son? So we're going to talk about stuff and the prodigal son today. Uh, for the first segment. And then uh, my friend, Pastor Sean Denzer, who's a pastor of about 43 or four different churches. He's got a different church every time. Uh, another church he's taken care of. He's going to come on and talk about, oh, <laughs> he's going to talk about how we think, how we examine ourselves in repentance, how we find our own sin. How, what do we, how, do we, how do we look in the mirror of God's law to, to see what we've done well, what we've done wrong? That's what we're going to talk about. The second part of the show, but I want to start with the prodigal son. This is in Luke chapter 15, the most glorious text. Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells three parables, and all three parables are about repentance. He tells the parable of the shepherd with the 99 sheep. He tells the parable of the widow with the with the 10 silver coins, and then he tells the parable, what we call the parable of the prodigal son. It should it maybe would be better called the parable of the merciful father. Now, to get it in context, we want to hear all three of these parables have the same theme because they're talking about what makes the angels rejoice in heaven, which is just, a, I mean, to think about that. What do you think? How, what are the angels doing? We think of them busily fighting the demons, which is right. That's what they're doing. But, but the Bible talks about how, the heaven, how the, in heaven the angels are breaking out in this joyful song. Why? Because the sinners who repent. And Jesus says, you want to know what repentance looks like? It, it looks like a shepherd in the wilderness who, who has a hundred sheep and one wanders off and he leaves the 99 in the open space to go look for the one that was lost. And when he finds that sheep, he puts it on his shoulder and he carries it not back to the other 99. He carries it home and he calls all of his neighbors together to rejoice over the lost sheep. And then Jesus says there's more joy over one sinner who repents in heaven than 99 who need no rep- uh, just. <laughs> that's great and then and then jesus tells the parable of, of the widow who has 10 silver coins and loses one and sweeps up and down lights a lamp she's looking everywhere for this coin and finally she finds it there in the corner and she dusts it off and she then goes crazy calls her neighbors together says rejoice with i lost the coin now it's found and jesus says that's what that's what happens in heaven when one sinner repents and the point of those parables is that heaven is sort of obnoxiously over the top ready to rejoice at this little thing called repentance <laughs> we, we we i mean 
You know, we we do not. You cannot go into the air, airport and watch CNN on the TV screen and find the hosts there rejoicing over someone who re- repentance does not make news on earth, not normally. But in heaven, it makes the news. I mean, in heaven, it's why the angels are singing for joy. It's over the top. I mean, Jesus says, "What shepherd? What if you if you were a shepherd, you lost a sheep in the wilderness? You'd go find the sheep. Then what would you do? You'd probably grab the sheep by the ears." And, and sort of grumpily drag it back to the other 99 sheep and say, stay put. I mean, I, I know that I've had dogs that have run away. And when I find those dogs, I'm not like, I'm not real pleased with the way th- things went when they ran away. I mean, I, I'm not real happy with them. I'm not ready to throw a party. But this is not, see, this, this is, Jesus is saying things do not, things in the in my kingdom are not like things on earth. This is, there's this abundant joy. And then he goes on to unfold that joy with the parable of the prodigal son, or maybe better, the parable of the merciful father. Now, we remember what happens. There's a father who has two sons, and one son comes to him, the younger son, and says, Dad, I wish you were dead. I wish you were dead because I'd rather have the inheritance than have you as my father. Give me my half of the inheritance. And the father, instead of grounding the kid and sending him to his room, divides the inheritance and gives it to him. It's crazy. We know that we're, this is not a normal father. Already it's not a normal father. And, and then Jesus says that this son, he goes and he, he goes into a foreign land and he wastes all this money, his inheritance, on riotous living. And then uh, he's sitting there. He's, he runs out of cash. There's a famine in the land. He doesn't know what to do. He goes to work for a pig farmer. You think about that for a Jewish boy working at the pig farm. Uh, this is as unclean as it gets, and you think that that's bad enough. But this boy, he's sitting there looking at the slop that he's feeding the pigs, and his stomach is growling and saying, mm, "Boy, wouldn't you love to get your hands on some of that slop?" And the text says he came to his senses. Now here's where we got to pay a special attention. He went and joined himself. I'm in Luke fifteen fifteen. He went. This younger son went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. Who, and he sent him into his fields to feed the swine, and he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate. Nobody gave him anything. But when he came to himself, here's where we need to really tune into this. When he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare? And here I am dying of hunger. I'll arise. I'll go to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he's got a plan, right? And this is the thing that we need to really focus on. What is the prodigal son's plan? It's the, it, it, his plan revolves around the difference between being a slave and being a son. He says, look, I've, I've blown it. I'm not worthy to be a son anymore, so make me as a slave. Now, what's the difference? The son is the one who has the inheritance. The son is the one who shares the father's name. The son is the one who knows the father's will. The son is a place of privilege. Being a servant or a slave is simply a matter of, it's an arrangement to do with works. The, the, the family arrangement is one of, I don't know, it's just family arrangement. Maybe we'd even say it's one of mercy, but the slavery is a, is a matter of works. And so the son says, I can't be the son of the father, but I'm going to be his slave. I'm going to go back and I'm going to say, make me, make me to be one of your slaves. Now, this is, 
this is Jesus giving us the, the, the spiritual insight into every religion. Remember, to take a step back, remember Francis Pieper, that old theologian, old Lutheran theologian, and he said that there's only two religions in the world. There's the religion of the law and the religion of the gospel. There's the religions of works and there's the religion of grace. And that Christianity is the religion of grace. Every other religion is a religion of works. Well, this is the indication that we're getting right here in this text from Jesus. The son says, I'm, I don't want to be the son. I want to be your slave. I want to earn... I want to earn my spot in your house. I've got to have to work for it. And he and he's rehearsing this. This son is rehearsing this speech as he travels back from the foreign land to go back home to his father. And you can just see him. I mean, he's kind of he's walking back. He's got this resolve. I'm going to get back there. And he's and he's and he's imagining what his father's going to say. How angry his father's going to be. How he's going to have to make the case that he should be able to stand. I don't. No, look, I don't want to be. I don't. I know I blew it. I know I messed up. I know things are not going to be how they were to start with. I, I know that I've made these mistakes i just i just want to be a slave i don't i don't want to be your son anymore just a servant i, I don't want to live in the house i want to live in the servants quarters i don't want to no you don't you don't need to give me the inheritance just you know give me the a place to live and a place to some clothes to wear i, I don't he, he's defensive and he's gonna but he's gonna make he's defensive in this way he's gonna make the case that he should be back in the father's house I mean, I see this guy. He's walking back. He says, "I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it." And then he stops and he turns around. No, it's never going to work. He's never going to. He's never going to receive me. Oh, he's going to be so angry with me. Look, I said he was dead. He's going to wish that I was. Maybe he's going to throw me in prison for wasting the stuff, or he's going to ridicule me, or shame me, or I mean, maybe he'll make me a slave. But maybe he'll, you know, maybe I'll be beaten by the other slaves. He's, he's back and forth, back and forth. And so, but finally, he gets there and he's. And he's got this speech all rehearsed. He knows just what he's going to say. Father, not a son, a slave, not a son, a slave. And so he comes over the hill. And he comes over the horizon. But and he's, as he kind of as the as the father's estate comes into view, the father sees him. And he recognizes him coming over the hill. You get the picture that the father has been waiting for this the whole time. And against all expectations, the father runs to him, and he and he takes him up in his arms. It's one of the most beautiful pictures in the whole of the scripture. He arose, I'm in verse 20, Luke 15, verse 20. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion. This word compassion is only used by Jesus in the Gospels. Uh, to describe Jesus. Jesus looks on someone and has compassion for them. This is the only exception, if it is an exception. The father saw him and had compassion and ran and ran to him and fell on his neck and kissed him. He takes him up in his arms and he embraces him. The thing that he wanted most of all was for the son to turn back around. It happened. Now he goes and he grabs a hold of him. And now the son, so you got to think he's sort of stunned. He starts his little speech. He starts to make his case. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no worthy. I'm, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father interrupts him. 
And the father says to the servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He's lost and is found. And they began to make merry. Do you see the son says, I'm, I'm not going to be your son. I want to be your slave. And the father won't have any of it. No, you're my son. Come on, come on. Here's the son's robe. Here's the son's ring. Here's the son's calf. Here's the son's party. The servants are serving you. Now here's everything that you need. The father doesn't want sir. He wants sons. This is the, oh, it's so absolutely beautiful. He restores him right to his position as if he had never done anything to offend his, his father. Now, look, when we're in despair, when we're sitting there in our sin, when we know that we've blown it, that we have simply, that we've sinned, we've been an embarrassment to God in his kingdom, that we've cast ourselves away from his kindness, the Lord just, he says, and we say, look, I don't, I know I'm not worthy to be your son. Maybe I could be a slave. Maybe I could be your servant. The father just won't have it. He wants sons. And th but this is seen now also with the second son. This is the second part of the parable, which perhaps is even the most important part, the often overlooked part, because what happens? They're making merry, they're having a feast, and the older brother is out in the fields, and he says, well, well, what's going on? And so the servant comes out and says, well, what's going on? Is it your son who left has come back? And he gets all grumpy about it. My brother? My prodigal brother? My brother who, who wished that dad was dead, who went and spent all the inheritance on prostitutes? That guy's back, and we're having a party? We killed the we killed the what? The fatted calf for him? He put what on his finger? A ring? He put a he put one of my robes, I bet. He put my robe on him and the older brother is mad and he's he's out in the field and a pouty about it. But you but look, we we can make fun of this older guy, but you would be the same way. I mean, just think about it. If you had a younger brother who was a prodigal like this and he spent half the family money and he wasted it on on immorality and stupid stuff and you you are the good one you the you're the rule keeper you're the one that stayed in the house you're the one that did the you would be mad too so he's out there in in the uh in the fields he won't go in he won't, he's not going to party you know he's too he's too good to go and party over this sort of thing and he was angry and would not go in so i'm picking up in luke 15 verse 28 therefore his father came out and pleaded with him again not a normal father I mean, you got to think that if you're if you're the father, you say, "Well, let him sit in the field." But no, the father goes out to him, and he answered and he said to his father, "Look, all of these years I have been serving you. I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that it might make merry with my friends." And as soon as the son of yours, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And so the father answers and he says, son, you've always been with me. And everything that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Now, here's the key. Here's the key to this. That not only did the prodigal son want to be the slave of the father, but that the older son also thought of himself as a slave of this father. The older son also thought that he was a servant in the father's house. All these many years, I've done everything that you've commanded me. I've served you in all of these ways, and you never even gave me a goat to eat. Do you see? There's a... 
There is a way that the two poles of our lives, pride and despair, are both pushing us towards slavery. There's the despair of the younger son who says, look, I'm not worthy to be called the son. I want to be a slave. But then there's a slavery of pride. I've kept all these rules. I've done all of these things. I've been a good boy. I've been obedient. I've done what you've asked. But both are both make slaves, not sons. And this is the point of the parable. God doesn't want s slaves. He wants sons. He wants children. Behold, what manner of love the Father has given unto us that we, we, you and me, you listener, and me, should be called the children of God. That's the love that God has for us in Christ. You know, here we sit despairing in our sin. We say, well, I want to make up for it. I want to do better. I Make me as one of your slaves. The Lord says, no, I won't have it. Or here we are in our pride. Look at all these things we've done for God. Look at how we've been served in this kingdom. Look at all these good works. And the Lord says, no, I won't have it. You also are my son. Everything that you have from me is by grace, not by works. It's a gift of God. Free gift. Free gift of his mercy. Without the, without the gospel, we only have two cho choices in this life. If you don't have the, the promise of the free forgiveness of sins, you either go to pride or despair, or you're swinging back and forth on this pendulum between the two. I've done enough for God, I'll never do enough for God. I've blown it, I've made it, or whatever. Back and forth, back and forth. Pride and despair, younger son, older son. Slavery of pride, slavery of despair, slavery to sin, slavery to work, slavery to obedience, slavery to failure, whatever it is. Back and forth on the on this pendulum of pride and despair. But the Lord stops it. In fact, that pendulum runs smack into the cross, and the Lord says, I have got you. In my mercy, I've got you. In my kindness, I've got In my promises, I've got you. It's good that we would rejoice at this singular thing, this gift, the gift of repentance, <laughs> the gift of knowing our sin and knowing that Jesus has died for our sins, that Jesus is the Savior. <laughs> that is good news. Boy, there's hardly a better picture of it than the picture of this merciful Father. Run, this, is God, this is your Savior, Jesus, running to you, scooping you up, clothing you with the robe of his righteousness, putting on you the ring of his sonship, killing not the fatted calf, but offering up himself on the cross for you. That's, that is the party thrown by heaven for us sinners. God be praised. All right, Stephanie. That's talking about stuff. And, Jordan, I hope this answers your question. I'm Pastor Brian Wolfmuller on Cross Defense. We're going to go to the break and come back. We'll be talking to Pastor Denzer about the mirror of the law. Stay tuned. O Come, O Come, Emmanuel is the hymn for the fourth Sunday of Advent. But do you know it's recognition of the great O Antiphons? We'll talk about that on the next Law and Gospel with myself, Tom Baker, and Mark Smith on Rumination Tuesday. Listen to Law and Gospel weekday mornings beginning at 930 on KFUO. Martin Luther said that next to the Word of God, music deserves the highest praise. At St. Paul's Music Conservatory in Council Bluffs, Iowa, we believe that music is a vehicle for the gospel. Through the creation of resources based on our historic hymns of the faith, we seek not only to develop students musically, but also to develop them for service in the church. To learn more about our resources, visit our website, www.stpaulsmusicconservatory.org. 
St. Paul's Music Conservatory, where music serves. This is the day which the Lord has made. For the lonely and homebound, for the grieving and dying, and for all those who are afflicted in body, mind, and spirit, especially for Join us for a live broadcast of Chapel at the LCMS International Center weekdays at 10 a.m. on KFUO. What is it that you want to share with us? Call the KFUO comment line at 314-996-1542. Tell us what we're doing right, wrong, or just leave a message with your thoughts on why KFUO is important to you. What would you like to hear on KFUO to make your listening experience better? You can call us anytime at 314-996-1542. Thank you for listening and sharing your thoughts with KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. Hey, welcome back to CrossFit. I'm your host, Pastor Brian Wolfman. Pastor of Hope Lutheran Church. Theological discontent. All the other theology stuff ends up on the website, wolfmuller.co, W-O-L-F-M-U-E-L-L-E-R.co. There's some other podcasts, some YouTube videos, some articles. I wrote an article last week on, this is going to fit well with what Pastor Denzer wants to talk about. I wrote an article last week called uh, Progressive Mortification. Uh, tips from Luther about how to subdue the flesh or something like that. That's on there if you go to wolfmuller.co and you can read a bunch of other stuff. See some trips we're doing. We're going to plan to go visit some missionaries in, oh, in Spain this summer. That'll be fun. So anyway, Pastor Denzer is my guest here. He's pastor of 17 or 18 Lutheran churches. Pastor Denzer, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. Do you want to just list like three of your churches uh, or four? Yeah, I have uh, two of my own, which is uh, Trinity Great Bend and Peace Barney. That's in the southeast corner of North Dakota. And I'm also filling in a vacancy at a dual parish, St. John Belford and Emmanuel Hankinson. And I'm glad to report that uh, they actually have uh, uh, made a call and uh, the pastor is considering it. And uh, I kind of hope he takes it. Uh, but uh, we'll be glad to have the Lord's work done and uh, that he continues to send laborers into his harvest. Yeah, that's right. Well, I'm, I'm surprised you haven't picked up three or four more congregations. What's the deal? Man? Well, there's still time. The year's not over yet, you know. So, <laughs> Hey, so somebody else uh, this week told me I had to listen to this great uh, podcast and then this great article on progressive mortification, and I think you just mentioned it. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, Did you I get haven't a read to look it. At that? Oh, okay. Not yet. I'm really looking forward to it. It's on my list to do this week. So Here's the picture. I, I'm going to run this by you, and it's going to have to do with what we're talking about. So, so one of the things that we know the Bible talks about all the time is our flesh, which is chiefly its desires. So, so I want to think of the flesh and the spirit in this way. There's, it's like there's two campfires. And so the flesh has a campfire, and the devil is always trying to stoke it and get it inflamed so that here we want this, we want that. And when that fire gets out of control, that's what the Bible calls passion. It's this, the, your, your sinful flesh is, is kind of driving you. It's trying to exercise this coercive power over you. So one of the things that we want to do in our Christian life is to mortify the flesh, that is to to douse that fire. And then there's another fire, though, and that's the desires of the Spirit, the things for the holy and good things of God, whatever's good, noble, and so forth. We want to think on these things. And so we want to stoke that fire while we're trying to extinguish the other fire. And this is the Christian life, is trying to manage these two fires as much as we can, knowing that the devil and the Holy Spirit are also involved and interested in this fire management 
thing happening inside of us. What do you think about that picture? I think that'll work. Uh, at first, of all, I was listening to you talk about the prodigal son. I was a little sad that you started with such beautiful gospel, and here I was going to come maybe douse the flame with uh, all this law, <laughs> talking about the Ten Commandments, right? But actually, I changed my mind, uh, and here's why. So we're going to focus mostly probably on the first son, although the second son... His problem is pride, right? And his problem is he, he just has not been looking in the mirror very much. I think if he did, uh, he would recognize his own sins, recognize, yes, that he's a son, uh, not by his works, but by his father's mercy, and be thankful for it, and then also appreciate the great mercy that his father has on his brother as well. And we, we have the first son that comes back, and I love your discussion of his prepared speech, which... Um, for the first two parts goes exactly the way he plans it and you know what he says is exactly what we are looking for most when we consider repentance and especially when we start thinking about actually confessing our sins naming them whether that's just to ourselves before god or whether that's in fact to another christian as well um to be able to say something so simple so profound and yet so painfully true that i've sinned against heaven and against you and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And, and the father doesn't tell him no. That's, that is true. It's the next part that we're not interested at all, which is our piddly little plans to, to make it right with God. That's just not going to do it. On the other hand, we'll rejoice in the great mercy that is entirely free on our part. But uh, on account of the sufferings and death of Jesus Christ, his great compassion poured out for us. Uh, and and here's why I don't mind that we heard the, the gospel and the prodigal son first, is we want to be like that first son with his boldness to come back to his father except if at all possible because we have the holy spirit we want to we want to have a little more boldness than him we're not going to come with any change jingling around in our pockets that we're going to kind of butter up our dad with and offer to be his slave uh, but we're going to come with the confidence of knowing who our compassionate father is you would never go to the hangman or to the judge and confess your sin you know what happens then you get the sentence. Uh, that's not going to go well. Um, but we have a we know the character of our Father. Our Heavenly Father is merciful. Um, uh, he's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And so, with that confidence, we're actually able and and willing and um, it, it, we're ready to do something incredibly painful, which is to to put God's law before us and look into that mirror and and confess our sins honestly. But, but we're able and willing to do that because we know the character of our Father. We know what he's going to say. We know that he is the one who forgives sins. And therefore, we come with every confidence, um, not just to you know, recognize our sins, but to actually lay them before him and say, these sins belong to you now. You've taken them away from me in Jesus. And, and so forgive me, Lord. And he answers those prayers. And, that, and he does that's, that's fantastic. So, so there's a way that even the, the Lord's mercy is what, um, it's the Lord's mercy that that leads us to repentance because we know that we can confess our sins without getting. We we don't have to put on the, you know how if you if you know that you're that you're you're going before a judge who is who is inter interested only in punishing, you you're um, you're going to be slow to to plead guilty. Uh, mm -hmm. If the judge has no room for mercy, you're you're going to try to plead innocent and weasel your way out of it, which is what most people are doing with their whole lives. I mean. I, I've been, Pastor Denzer, thinking about this more and more, that most people are just living their lives to, so that they can try to make a, uh, 
the case for their own goodness before God or their neighbor themselves or their parents or whatever. And they're trying, so they excuse their sin, they hide their sin, they excuse their sin, they amplify their goodness and whatever. And it's all in this sort of sham to prop up an innocent plea. Whereas this son, you're right, the younger son at least knows that he cannot get away with that. He can't, and we, and we should, that's the beginning of repentance, to know that we cannot get away with the plea of innocence. That we, can, that we, that it's a sort of self-delusion to claim that we, that we are holy enough or good enough to stand before God or, or whatever, right? It is. It really gets in the way. It's what the goats are doing at the last day. They're like, well, when didn't we help you, Lord? I mean, show us a few times, right? We, let, our, let our evidence be seen. Uh, I think you'll find we're much better than this. We deserve better than this. The Lord says, I mean, tragically, right? The tragedy of the sheep and the goats is the goats want to hear their evidence, and the Lord lets it be heard. I mean, but what evidence is it going to be? Whenever you didn't do it, you also didn't do it for me. Um we do not want to plead um, and, and be judged on the basis of the law. We'll never make it. Don't fool yourself. Uh, and maybe the clarity of the pig pods finally you know, breaks us of that and, and leads us to have the fear of the Lord, which is a true terror, terror in your conscience. Um, but, and, and for all of our listeners, for Jordan and Greece, and for all of us, we've heard the gospel. We've, we've been um, rejoiced in our heart by this marvelous mercy that the Lord shows in this parable of the prodigal son. And that then I, really does enable us to approach the daily, ongoing task uh, of what that uh, prodigal son is doing, to come back to the Father and to be honest for once in our lives, uh, but to do it you know, with full confidence without all the little um, decorations that we do to try and mitigate it. It, it, it just isn't going to work. We hate this in other people. We hate when they make excuses. Excuses never sound good to anyone but the person making them. Uh, and, and of course it's the same way with God. On the other hand, to have confidence that his righteousness is absolutely 100% the only thing, um, this is what goes with repentance. Repentance isn't only the terrors of conscience and contrition and being sorry. Uh, and maybe, in fact, you're not that sorry. I mean, that's something you could actually repent of. Uh, but but the it must be added with faith. We must know who we're confessing to, and we must have the confidence of his promises to spur us to have the, the boldness to make a confession at all, and then and then to trust in his righteousness and not our own. Hmm. <laughs> this, these two parts of repentance are so important because most of the time when people think repentance... So here's the, here's the standard definition of repentance, and they say repentance is doing a U-turn in life. You're doing hmm. this stuff, and now you go and you do this stuff. I think we could rightly talk about that being the fruit of repentance, but not repentance itself. Repentance itself is, um, well, it's the two parts that you mentioned. It's, so, it's knowing our own sinfulness, so, contrition, sorrow over sin, and then faith, trusting in the, in the good news. And that's a definition of repentance that sounds very strange to most people. Talk about that a little bit. Uh, well, you're right. Even sorry, it doesn't cut it for me, at least, because... Uh, because we know how good actors we are, you know. 
yep. yeah, uh, our kids learn quickly how to pretend to be sorry. Uh, and when then you don't look, then they slap their sister or their brother again. I mean, we just, we are perpetually actors. And this is our old Adam. And, and why? Because, like we said, we want to dress ourselves up, make ourselves look holier. The, the trouble is... Who are we kidding? It's not going to work. It's like the fig leaves on Adam and Eve. I was thinking yeah, the that, same thing. Yeah, that'll do it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then, <laughs> oh, so here, Pat, by the way, Pat, here's my favorite joke that I've ever made up. Now, I, I, normally you would start to lower your expectations because I'm going to tell you a joke <laughs> that I made up. But I want you to read. This is a pretty, actually pretty funny joke. Are you ready? It's the best one. Okay. Here it is. is good best. as it gets, everybody. This is right. This is the, the off the mountaintop after this. So Adam and Eve <laughs> are there in the after the fall, and they've gone and they've covered themselves in fig leaves and eve comes out from behind the bushes and looks at adam with her fig leaves on and says adam what do you think these are my fall colors it's <laughs> uh, uh, all right it's all right <laughs> that's, that's like three punchlines and that's as good as it gets they think, <laughs> and look how they, they're like oh yeah that's good you look good and and adam says oh you look good eve says, you look fine you don't need it. nothing to worry about all's fine until they hear footsteps. Like, what are those? What's that? Oh, that's God coming. And then now they look at each other and they realize that the fig leaves are not enough, and they run from God and they hide from God in the garden, to, so that so that we have these plots to be good enough for 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 God until the law comes along preaching, and those footsteps are terrifying footsteps. I mean, we can delude ourselves that we're better than most. Either we've done enough good works to get ourselves into heaven or whatever, but that delusion only lasts as long as God is not preaching his law to us. Hmm. It, we, we need the gospel, in fact, the mercy, the knowledge of, of who our God is, uh, in order to steal us to not run away. Uh, to not run away every time we hear him, and, and not to reject the gospel ultimately, because we just, you know, we, our sins show up to us. We end up re remembering these things. In fact, unlike God, who is able to forget something forever, we just have a horrible time doing that. I don't know about you. I, I can hardly forget anything. I just that feeling of guilt lasts longer than the guilt itself. Uh, and so, so how do we resolve this? How do we how do we live with this? How do we actually move through this? Well, we're not going to be moving ourselves through it, but our part of it is to is to come clean on it, to to, to finally have the truth come out of our mouths. Uh, when liars tell the truth, that's the only when they say I'm a liar, that's the only time they're actually saying anything true. Uh, and, and likewise, when a sinner says I'm a sinner, when he says something even as simple as I did this. And just say it. That's the hardest part. And and add nothing else to try and you know give our excuses or well I I meant well or well you see my my ongoing problem is this. Well, how about we just get down to the point and say yeah I did it. Uh, that's tremendous truth. And God's actually pleased by that confession. He's praised in it. He's actually won a victory in us. Paul says in Romans. And uh, and then of course he has a much bigger victory to proclaim. And that's the victory that oh. you know. No, you won't make a U-turn. But uh, I've shed my blood uh, to turn you around. That that is phenomenal. So, so this is there's this there's a word that the Bible uses, confession, and and we think of that in two different ways. One is that we confess our sins, we that we that we admit the truth about ourselves. The other is that we confess our faith. That's where we admit the truth of what the Lord says about us. So we recognize our own sinfulness. And then we hear what the Lord... So this is true, that we are sinners, that we deserve God's eternal punishment. But but then the Lord has something also true, maybe truer in a way to say, and that is that 
that Christ has died for sinners, for us. This, so these, so that we confess our sins, and then out of the Lord's mouth comes the great promise of the absolution. Now, you, you've talked about and, and mentioned in, when you sent me an email before the show that one of the things you want to talk about today is this tool that the church has, has put together that, that helps us speak what is true about ourselves. It's, it's called, uh, and I never, uh, Bleitspiegel? Is this how to say the word in German? Beichtspiegel, so uh, B-E-I-C-H-T. There's no L? No L, no Beichtspiegel. L. Beichtspiegel. Yeah. If, the, if the people listening want to ch- track this down, I think you could probably just Google what confessional mirror Maybe we'll put. Yeah, put that's exactly what I mean. Spiegel, your Spiegel, you hold in your hand, right? Spiegel, Spiegel on the wall. I guess if it was a German tale originally, and uh, and then the Beicht is is confession. But and I think repentance, like you were talking about with the prodigal son, is a fine synonym for that in this case. But it's learning to look at the mirror of the law. Why do we say that? Uh, uh, my catechism kids are taught, you know, that the law has a number of uses or purposes, but that the kind of main one is it's like a mirror to us. This is surprising most. People. They think, you know, God gives his law so that we'll behave better. Uh, but I think there's a number of passages in the scripture that really lay it out as a mirror. The first one's Moses, right? After the Ten Commandments are spoken by God's booming voice, and, and the people are freaking out, and they say, Moses, why don't you tell God to shut up now? Uh, we're not going to survive. We're going to die if he keeps talking to us like this, keeps preaching the Ten Commandments to us. The Lord, of course, told Moses in a private conversation later, yeah, they were right. <laughs> they were doomed if I was going to talk like that to them forever, only according to the law, only according to what's expected of you. Uh, but Moses says, do not be afraid, to the people, uh, do not be afraid, the Lord has come to test you. And I think that test is such an important word. We, again, because we think so highly of ourselves, tests we think are always there, you know, the way we use mirrors, to preen. <laughs> To, to say, man, don't I look good, you know, and, and sometimes you have to get those funny mirrors to, to help out with that, right? We want the test we want the test to show us how much we know. The Lord gives a test like your doctor gives a test, right? Uh, when you go in for the testing and go in for the MRI and go in for the mammogram, you're not looking for how wonderful you are. You're looking for what's wrong. You're looking for a diagnosis. That's the kind of test we're talking about. And that's what hmm. Moses says. God is giving his law for. It's to diagnose something about us, right? Wow. Uh, so that the fear of the Lord may be in us and that we may not sin. Uh, well, we got, which is very I want to talk about that. Yeah, I want to talk about that, how we use the, or how the Holy Spirit will use the Ten Commandments to show us our own sin. But we're, it's just in time for a break now. So, so Pastor Danzer, let's go to a break and we'll come back afterwards and, and maybe walk through it even, how this happens pr- practically, how the how the Ten Commandments can give us this wisdom so it can, can lead us into the Lord's victory of us confessing our own sins. So stay tuned. If you're listening to the break, we'll be back with I'm Pastor Brian Wolfmuller with Pastor Sean Denzer. You're listening to Cross Defense. Stay tuned. Proverbs 27, 17 tells us, Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. That's why weekday mornings at 8 a.m., two Missouri Synod pastors test their mettle against the Holy Scriptures, certain that not only will they come out better for it, but so will you. The sword of the Spirit is sharp to the touch, but you need practice wielding it. Check out Sharper Iron, 8 a.m., every weekday on Worldwide KFUO. 
In a day when numerous concerns about money and safety abound in this fallen world, there is still a beacon of hope in Christ Jesus spreading the gospel message of mercy. Worldwide, KFUO has been a good steward of donations, ensuring the safety of funds our listener-supported ministry receives. If you have questions about donating to keep this worldwide ministry healthy, send an email to gifts at kfuo.org. I think one of the most amazing... Th I'm Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, by the way. One of the most amazing things is to worship with Christians in other places in the world. I've, I've taken people to, to Israel, to Germany, to Greece, to Turkey. We've done that, and it's just it's so fantastic and eye-opening. We're going to do it again this summer. We're going to go and visit our missionaries in Spain. We're going to tour around Spain for 11 days. And while we're there, we're going to spend a weekend in Seville to see the work of the Lutheran Church being born in Spain. If you're interested or you know someone that's interested, you can find all the information on the website wolfmuller.co forward slash Spain 2019. It's W-O-L-F-M-U-E-L-L-E-R dot C-O slash Spain 2019. Hope you can join us. Hey, welcome back to Cross Defense. I'm your host, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, pastor of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Pastor Sean Denzer, pastor of North Dakota, is joined, joining me on the, on the line. Hey, uh, so Pastor Denzer, I am right now, as we speak, adding the links to and, and some notes and some things like this to the website. So if the listeners wants to go to wolfmuller.co slash mirror, slash mirror, you'll, well, I'm going to have the links uh, there for some of these bite spiegels. So people can follow that uh, follow that up. How's that sound for a plan? Wonderful. I mean, these are old tools, uh, but I'd encourage the listeners, maybe even before they have a chance to look at those, and I think they're excellent ones to draw on, try and do this for yourself. I think this is a great project for every Christian. It's one that I'm doing with my catechism class. We just did it last week. We got a few more commandments to finish up, and we're basically taking the Ten Commandments as our guide, considering our place in life, our places, our stations in life, according to these Ten Commandments, in a way that we can find good questions, deep, hard-hitting questions, not to ask about everybody else. We're always plenty good at that, to find out their sins but to ask ourselves, to examine ourselves, uh, to diagnose our own sins. Mo most people, you know, you ask them the question, which in, our, in Luther's small catechism, he's got these nice 20 questions, kind of like good things to ask yourself. Are you a Christian, right? Uh, and the first one is, are you a sinner? Do you believe you're a sinner? Yeah, I believe it. I'm a sinner. It's supposed to be the answer. And the second question is, how do you know this? And I think most people would probably say, well, nobody's perfect, right? Uh, how do you know this, though? And I think the answer ought to be from the Ten Commandments, from God's law, God's word, which I have not kept. And that's a surprisingly true thing to say, honest thing to say. It's not deceitful. We often think the opposite of truth is is evil, you know, and, and therefore if you want to be a true Christian, somebody who tells the truth, then you've got to be a person who never sins. That's that full u-turn like you had said pastor wolfmuller but the opposite of true is deceitful and the opposite of deceitful is sincere uh, and that's what that's the first amen that every christian ought to be saying the first yes to god's word is a yes to his law a yes to say you're right and i'm wrong uh let god let god be true and let every man including myself be a liar uh and and, and 
Paul says that God wins a victory when that happens, when we finally say amen to his law, when we can confess and echo um, his truth first, even if it's an, a very bad truth about ourselves, you know, that we've sinned against heaven and earth and we're no longer worthy to be called his sons, and yet his absolution is the thing that can turn that around. Hmm. So to take the to take the commandments and then to go through them and, and, and come up with good, insightful questions that you can ask yourself as if you're looking in a mirror into your soul uh, in order to discern and to, and to get to know your sin. Not for the purpose of beating yourself up uh, or, or feeling worse about yourself. God doesn't all care all that much how we feel about ourselves. <laughs> but he would love to have the truth because he can give us the comfort and, and the great beauty uh, that we have illustrated in that parable in his word of forgiveness, which which may produce the fruit of feeling relieved. I mean, that these sins, which we've now taken the time to get to know maybe a little too intimately, now we know these are the ones the Lord has taken away. That's it. Now, this uh, I, I want to... Um, push into this a little bit because to, to, so you, you use two things there that I think are going to be good to think about. I mean, f so you use the word absolution. I want to explore that a little bit. Um, but the, mm, mm -hmm. the, the other thing that you, we, if we're going to be examining ourselves according to the Ten Commandments, we should probably know what the Ten Commandments are. So, th <laughs> so, Somebody just open your Bible to Exodus chapter 20 and take a look at that. But I, I remember seeing this, was probably some YouTube video of, it's like people outside a courthouse protesting the Ten Commandments. And the person went up and said, could you tell me what the Ten Commandments are? <laughs> and the person said, well, you're not supposed to lie or commit adultery or murder anyone. Or they kind of ran, they kind of puttered out of, which, <laughs> which I thought, you know, it was kind of embarrassing for the person being asked. And I thought, well, they should have said, well, if we had them on the courthouse, I'd know what they were. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's a way out of that business. But you know, so so the Ten Commandments, and they're numbered differently in the different traditions. But we have it from the, the church. We and in the in Luther's Catechism, it's great. The, the, number one, you shall have no other gods. Two, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Three, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Four, honor father and mother. Five, do not murder. Six, do not commit adultery. Seven, do not steal. Eight, do not bear false witness against your neighbor. Nine, do not covet your neighbor's house. And ten, do not covet your neighbor's wife. Or your neighbor's manservant, or maidservant, ox or donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. So, so it's good to have those. Just, I mean, if we if we want to memorize anything, we ought to have those things memorized and then run through them to say, now how how am I how am I doing? I think I think I mentioned to you, that, Pastor Dedzer, that I've got a list of of a one singular question that I try to use to get at each of the commandments. Did did I, I send love you those that questions. or? I, I, I ripped them off you from somewhere else, and I've certainly been using them. I think they're wonderful, distilled questions. And and a confession mirror is maybe doing that, except being willing to ask more than one question. Yeah, just piling and, it on. And, yep. Exactly, and and to really dig into them. You want to share those questions? Well, so so I, now I'm going to put these on this post as well that we're making. So wolfmuller.co slash mirror although or do I'm you want to test me and see if i have the right ones but yeah okay so let's go i'll i'll do a couple um but let's try so the first commandment do you remember that the first commandment and the last commandment are the trickiest ones so the yeah. first commandment you shall have no other gods i've got one question that i asked there do you remember that one it's what am i afraid of ah what am i afraid of? because we know that to have a god is to fear love and trust in God above all things, and that the devil is always tempting us to worship him or false gods with fear. What am I afraid of? Good. 
Second, how are my now? See, I'm writing these down to see if I remember. How are my prayers for the second commandment? That's what I have. Yeah, yeah. Because obviously we don't want to curse or swear or misuse God's name, but you can't get off the hook by just saying, "Well, I'll never use God's name." Uh, that doesn't do it. He gave it to us to be used, and it's to be used in prayer. Call upon it in trouble and everything. Mm -hmm. uh, third commandment: What's my attitude towards worship? Yes, I think that's a great one. I, I hate this word attitude, but until I find a better substitute, I think we've got to keep it, right? Okay. Then four is what's my attitude towards authority? Not only my parents, but all those in authority over me? Yeah, I think that's an incredibly difficult one. Uh, we should mention, if, you're, if you happen to be a person in authority, uh, such as a father or a ruler, you ask this question differently. You, you consider this commandment from the other side. Uh, am I being honorable in my keeping of, and using of this authority? Am I angry is the fifth commandment, uh, which is something, really. I mean, that draws on what Jesus said, right? You've heard it said, do not murder or you'll be, go to hell. But uh, I tell you, if you call your brother a fool, if you're angry with him, you're liable to hellfire, right? The, the commandments are deeper than just, well, no, I don't think I've ever killed anyone in cold blood. At least I've kept that commandment, right? No, nope. Jesus himself says uh, it's deeper than that. Look at the heart. This sixth commandment is a tricky one. You shall not commit adultery because this has to do with chastity. I think I keep changing this one. The one I have today on my list is, am I chaste? That's what I switched it to, actually. So, shoot, I thought I did something creative. Gosh. God's word just keeps echoing. In a, that's what confession is. We're not trying to be that creative. Uh, we're trying to get to God's word. You know, that word chase, no one knows what it means anymore. But uh, I just think, well, tough. We have to learn it. It, it. No one knows what it means anymore for a reason, a bad one. We need to teach it. Chastity is also available. It's what we should be pursuing both if we're married or if we're single. I used to have two questions, depending on if you were married or not, and it had to do with contentment. But the So the tricky thing is a lot of these questions are getting towards the vice of the commandment. Like, for example, fifth commandment, you shall not murder. It forbids anger as the vice, but the, uh, the virtue would be compassion. So you could kind of ask the question either way. Am I compassionate or am I angry? On this one, am I unchaste or am I chaste? It's better to to be pursuing chastity, I think, with the Sixth Commandment. Uh, seventh Commandment, you shall not steal. I have this question now, am I generous? The other way to get after it, the negative would be, am I lazy, am I greedy? So you, you've got those kind of three questions. You can really pick any of those. Those are great. Am I bitter is the Eighth Commandment. And then Nine and Ten, you shall not covet. Am I happy? I get you know what, Pastor Denzer. I get the most grief for that question because guys say you're not supposed to be happy. You're supposed to be joyful. Well, okay, try to be joyful without being happy, I guess. But anyway, I like it because it for, it forces the point. But what do you think, think about you that used, last one? I think you used to have "Am I content?" Uh, and Did maybe I? that's a word that could be a problem too. But uh, am, am I content? Am I arguing with God? Uh, back to Adam and Eve again, right? Really, they're trying to say, well, I think God made a mistake here. Because if he were here, he'd see what I see, that this fruit is wonderful and that I should have this wisdom. God just made a small mistake. It's okay. I can fix it for him. Uh, that is this ninth and 10th commandment, or you might even say the first commandment. I mean, you can't, you can't make that small, well, God just made a small mistake, so I'll fix it without attacking him directly, right? That's it. That's it. That's fantastic. So, that, so now the the Beitspiegel or the confessional mirror really does this. It just takes the Ten Commandments, and it and it unfolds it even further. Just asks more questions about so to, so that I can I can look at my own life, my own deeds, my own thoughts, my own words, and everything else 
in light of the Ten Commandments. Um, and, wh- and so what happens when that light starts to shine? You, The Holy Spirit is at work, in fact, through this Word of God. Uh, and it's at work to do the first thing that Jesus says the Holy Spirit is sent to do. It's to convict the world of sin. And Jesus even adds a definition of sin there, because they do not believe in me. Mm-hmm. It, 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 even he's trying to draw it back to the first commandment and the ninth and tenth commandment, just as we see in the commandments themselves. Uh, this is the work of the Holy Spirit. It's important for Christians to know this, because they often think the Holy Spirit is only here to you know, make us joyful and happy and everything good. The Holy Spirit also has to do some some renovation work. He's got to come in and break some things down. He's got to smash some stone hearts and, and make them hearts of flesh again. And that's what the law is. It's this hammer that smashes our stony hearts, that exposes us, uh, and that leads us to repentance. Uh, again, that, that leads us not, to, not into death and into hell forever, but leads us into this fear of God, into this place where we can say, as the Son did, right, I've, I've sinned against heaven against earth. Uh, I'm not worthy to be God's Son. And then we should say, but, um, uh, you know, I pray uh, the boundless mercy of God in Jesus Christ, whom he's put forward uh, as the sacrifice uh, for my sins. This is what we ought to turn to then, right? That's right. This is so that the law puts us off of ourselves. It ends our trust in ourselves and, and points us to Christ. But I'm getting the warning that we're running out of time, Pastor Denzer. So give us the purest of gospel you can in 30 seconds for the, for the hearts crushed by the law. Yeah, if you look at the law, uh, things aren't going to get better first. They're going to get worse. God's going to reveal something terribly true, and it's a terrible truth about you. Uh, But the invitation to confess is an invitation to say, I'm going to actually come over onto God's side on this. I'm going to tell the truth. And as we said before, the word of the gospel is truer even than your sin. What do I mean by that? I mean that the Lord Jesus Christ has borne the full punishment for that sin. If you recognize your sin in all of its horrible detail, then you look at the cross and you look at the picture of Jesus dying on that cross and you see that all of the punishment you deserve is right there. It's on him. He's taken it away. And uh, and when you see the cross, you see your salvation. You see everything that you deserve, everything that you've now come to know from the law. And God has said, I'm going to take that. I'm going to bear that pain. I'm going <laughs> to lose that money. And, uh, and you're going to have my righteousness and my kingdom. Bring the robe, bring the calf, bring it all. Uh, my mercy is for you. The law shows us what we deserve, but the, in the God, Jesus is getting that. The law doesn't crush us, but rather it's thrown at Jesus so that we can have God's mercy and life everlasting, a joy that knows no end. That the the, the, the Ten Commandments show our sin, but there's the Lord has more to say. He shows us Jesus. He says, "Here, here am I in your flesh, taking what you deserve, just like the angels preached on Christmas Eve, peace on earth." Goodwill towards men. That's the good news of the gospel. Pastor Denzer, thanks so much for being my guest. My pleasure. Thank you. And thank thank you, listener, for listening to Cross Defense. God be praised for the mercy of Jesus, which is boundless, which is for you. I'm I'm your host, Pastor Brian Wolfie. Make sure to tune in next week for more Cross Defense. Talk to you soon.
Lost Defense is a production of KFUO Radio. Find past episodes and support Cross Defense at KFUO.org. Thanks for listening to this episode of Cross Defense. I'm your host, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, and I'm so happy to have you along for the ride. If you missed any portion of this show or or any other show, please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. You can listen to all of our episodes there. And for more theolo- uh, theology, for more adventure in this crazy world of igniting our imaginations with the Scriptures, please visit the website wolfmuller.co and poke around. You'll love what you see. Thanks again. We'll talk to you next week.